The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. So is it true? Is atheism really dead? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, today on the Line of Fire broadcast. This is Michael Brown, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity, equipping you to stand strong in the faith in these uncertain and confusing times. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Bottom of the hour, going to be joined by my old friend Eric Metaxas talking about his new book, Is Atheism Dead?, and, and I want to ask you, did you come out of atheism to faith in Jesus? Were you once an atheist or maybe strongly agnostic, and now you are a strong believer? How did it happen? What, what was the trigger? What was the process? I'd love to hear from you. 866-34-TRUTH. Or if you're still an atheist or agnostic, what is it that is stopping you from coming to faith? What are the strongest reasons or the strongest single reason that you do not believe? Love to hear from you as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Number to call. I posted on Facebook and Twitter asking folks that have come from atheism to faith what brought them over. I want to read some of their comments to you as well. But first, October 19th, my newest book, Revival or We Die, comes out. It's urgent. It's written with fire, with passion. I believe as you read it, that fire and passion will ignite in you, that a vision for real revival will ignite in you, that the possibilities of revival will become real to you, that the depth of revival and the intensity of revival will become more understandable to you, that God will stir things in your own heart. If you've left your first love, if you become complacent, if perhaps you, you've lost sight of the realities of the Word of God, I believe as you read this book, something will spark in you. You can go to our website, askdrbrown.org, and pre-order an exclusive hardcover edition. This is a special printing that we've done, a hardcover edition signed and numbered, along with that, a video download that will tell you more about the history of the book and take you through each chapter. So you can get that exclusively on our website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. And what I want to do is just read an excerpt from this book to you. It is from the chapter called Revival or We Die. And it's early in the book. It's not the opening chapter, but it's early in the book. I want to read some of this to you because there are some quotes here that are quite jarring, that, that give us a perspective. Because, friends, often we lose track of where we really are because we get used to today. I, I always use the illustration that when I started teaching full-time at a Bible school in Long Island in, the, in 1983, I went out and got three three-piece suits. That was the style then, three-piece suits. It was this... this Oh, discount place, whatever, you know, direct to the public kind of little out of the way place. And I, th- I think I got the three suits for $75, something like that. It was cheap even back then. But anyway, 
I, you know, I switched between them teaching days and, you know, where other things, but those are the main ones I switched between. And then sometime after that, we moved to Maryland. Now, some years have gone by. I decided to try on one of the suits. And to my shock, this, this suit had shrunk dramatically. I mean, I mean, I knew I'd put on a little weight, but not that much, not that much weight. There's no way I put on that much weight. I, I was shocked when I put that suit on. I, to my greater shock, all three suits had shrunk. Ah, suits didn't shrink. I put on more weight than I realized. But you get used to it. You you grow gray gradually. You 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 backslide gradually. Things happen, and you you don't realize it. The same with our culture, that things can degenerate in such a way. But we're in the middle of it, like the proverbial frog in boiling water. We're in the middle of it. And, and because of that, we don't grasp what's really happening. We don't see the severity of it. And then something hits us between the eyes. Boom, it's that, that wake-up call, some, some of the spiritual clarity that we seek to bring to you as we speak, some of the moral sanity we speak to bring, seek to bring. That's what happens as I read some of these quotes. So, so let me share some of this with you uh, from the chapter Revival or We Die in my book, Revival or we die. And team, I need my left screen on. So John Knox prayed, give me Scotland or I die. George Whitfield prayed, give me souls or take my soul. Today, tens of millions of American Christians need to pray, God, give us revival or we die. There is no hyperbole in that prayer. Without a national awakening... America as we know it is doomed. Now hear this, friends. 1944. How many of you were born then, alive then? I'm born in 55 and I'm 66, right? So 1944, you're in your late 70s. 1944, Reverend Peter Marshall declared, surely the time has come because the hour is late when we must decide. And the choice before us is plain. Yahweh or Baal, Christ or chaos, conviction or compromise, discipline or disintegration. That was 1944, nine years before the first edition of Playboy. Compared to the epidemic of internet porn today affecting even our children, Marshall could never have imagined America falling this low. 1944 was a long time ago. 1959. Professor Robert Coleman wrote, in a day when unprecedented numbers of people have a form of religion, while at the same time the church seems unable to stem the rising tide of degeneracy that threatens the land, the question must be raised, why this paradox? Should not the church have influence for righteousness in proportion to her numbers? However, one may seek to, however one may seek to answer this question, it is obvious what we need is not more religion, but more power. In short, we need real revival. And this was written before the counterculture revolution of the 1960s swept the nation. How much more urgently do we need real revival today? 1969, Dr. Bill Bright wrote, we live in the most revolutionary period of human history. Social band-aids and reform antiseptics give little hope for a cure or even an improvement. A revolution is needed. You can experience this revolution. In fact, you can help bring it to pass. Also in 1969, Reverend Tom Skinner wrote, I'm convinced America's at her crisis hour. Revolution is inevitable. It's just a matter of which faction is going to prove strongest and will win out in the end. 
I believe most Americans are so apathetic that they will just sit back and go to whoever wins the struggle. The question is, what would these men of God say today? 1969 was also a long time ago. It was the year of Woodstock. It was the year of the Stonewall riots. But but friends, I, I doubt that the most zealous gay activist in 1969 would have predicted the Supreme Court would one day redefine marriage or that the White House would light up in rainbow colors in celebration or that a, quote, married man would run for president, married gay man would run for president or that another presidential candidate would say that transgender rights were the civil rights issue of our day or that a famous male athlete would be declared woman of the year, or that the American Library Association would endorse drag queens reading to toddlers? No way! 1969 was four years before Roe v. Wade. Put another way, 1969 was four years before a court ruling would allow for more than 60 million babies to be aborted in their mother's wombs. How much more, then, do we need massive awakening today? How much more do we need a sweeping revival in the church that will spark a moral and cultural Revolution in the society. Okay, I'll stop here. But you get the point. It is no hyperbole to say revival or we die. It is no hyperbole to say the the hour is very dark. The hour is very urgent. It is also no hyperbole to say that we could be on the verge of the greatest awakening America's ever seen. The, the cure has to be greater than the sickness. The, the solution has to be greater than the problem. The demonstration of God's life-changing power has to be greater than what we've seen in terms of Satan's death-bringing power and and the flesh and the world's death-bringing power. And I truly, deeply believe that something is happening, that something is stirring. It's, It's not just a faith thing, the reports I hear it's consistent in place after place where, where Jesus is being preached without compromise. And there is place given to the Holy Spirit to move. And lives are being dramatically impacted by, by the presence of God and the Word of God. And there's outreach to the lost. Things are happening. People are flocking to services. People can't wait to get to meetings. And they're bringing friends that don't know the Lord. Those friends are getting touched and coming to the Lord. Something's stirring, not just in one church or one location, because that's not going to do it. But all over America, in hundreds of places, I'm expecting thousands of places. Maybe it's already happening, but just in very, very small seed form. This is the time to seize the moment. I've written Revival or We Die in the spirit of books that God moved on me to write back in the late 80s and early 90s. Books that burn with fire as I write them and books that burn with fire as you read them. And I believe that that this will be another tool to help spark this awakening that can lead to moral and cultural reformation. Spark this revival in the church that will lead to a moral awakening in the society. So by all means, if you're able to get this, get a copy. Of course, you can just go to Christian Book or Amazon, wherever you order your books, Barnes & Noble Online, and get the paperback book or the ebook due to be released October 19th. But if you'd like to pre-order special hardcover edition, signed and numbered, and with a scripture verse, we just always pray and think, what's the right verse to put in with the book when we sign it? We'll do that. It's our joy to send them out. We pray over the copies as we do. And then if you want to order multiple copies, maybe you want to get one to your pastor, or maybe you want to get one to your leadership team, 
just say, hey, want these to, to be signed to XYZ people. We'll sign each of them individually. As soon as the books come out, we'll get them out to you. I believe something will spark as you read the book. With all my heart, I believe it. That's why I wrote it, and I couldn't have written it unless I was stirred to write it. I believe God stirred me to write it because he more than we wants to send revival. He, he more than any of us wants to pour out his spirit afresh and touch this nation and touch the world. So go to the website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. You'll see it right on the home page. Again, it's due out October 19th. We hope to have the books in before that time or right around that time and turn them around immediately and get them right out to you. We come back, we change our focus to atheism. We're going to look at some testimonies of how some of you came out of atheism. Take your calls, 866-34-TRUTH, and then speak to author Eric Metaxas about his book, Is Atheism Dead? It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends. Again, the number 866-34-TRUTH. Hey, don't forget to visit vitaminmission.com. Find out about healthy supplements that you can take for many, many different areas of life and about a special coupon code to give you a discount when you get there as one of our listeners with every order, donations made to our ministry. In fact, special announcement. Mark this down. For the first time ever, we're doing something on Friday. Dr. Mark Stengler is going to join me, known as America's doctor, or doctor of the decade, leading naturopathic doctor in America, a brilliant man and a lover of the Lord and a personal friend. He's going to join me on the air on Friday, and it's Dr. Stengler that we're partnering with with these health supplements, and he's going to answer your health questions. Now, he could also talk about apologetics. He's really strong in the word and theology and apologetics, but he's going to come on to join me to talk about health questions, medicine questions. Yeah. So we're going to open the phones Friday for something we've never done. Instead of Ask Dr. Brown, it's going to be Ask Dr. Stengler. So start start lining up with your questions. It's been an amazing day. Okay. So I'm thinking about atheism today because Eric Metaxas' new book, Ask the Question, Is Atheism Dead?, when Nancy and I met in 1974 at the age of 19, she was a hardcore atheist. I mean, she was not just, yeah, I don't think there's a God, but she was, she was militant that there was no God. Before she was eight, eight years old at the oldest, she concluded, she remembered concluding, it would be great if there was a God. It's a shame there is not. And was, was a hardcore atheist when we met, looked at religious people as weak, and to this day, because it was so real in her life before God transformed her and saved her. To this day, she can tell me, no, 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 you're missing the point. I'll, I'll, I'll say, hey, how does this sound interacting with Nancy? She says, no, no, that, that sounds stupid. Or it sounds like this, or it doesn't convey what they're thinking. And a lot of our answers will sound strong to us. Like, you know, we'll say to an atheist, you know, the atheist says, okay, you're a, you're, God is like a lifeguard, and he sees people out there drowning. And, and he just lets them drown. I, you know, what kind of person is that? What kind of God is that? And we say, well, they're drowning by their own choice and their own free will and et cetera. And she said, yeah, but the atheist is thinking if the God you believe is that good and that powerful, he is going to do something to save those people anywhere. 
And and many arguments I've raised, she's shown me that from the viewpoint of the atheists, they sound hollow, and I've had to rethink them and rephrase them. So to this day, it's something that sharpens me. And there are people who are atheists, and it's mainly intellectual. There are others who are atheists, and it's, it's mainly emotional or experiential. But I'm interested to know how so many atheists have come to faith over the years. So I posted a question on Facebook, on Twitter. Here's what Manuel wrote on Facebook. I started reading the Bible with the intention of proving it was false. And when I got to the Gospels, I realized that I'd become a believer in God. Jesus was like no other person I'd ever known, and that was what impacted me the most. I would say then that what most changed my mind was the person of Jesus and how the Gospels did not read like a story but like real events. I also came to learn various apologetic arguments for God at that time, which changed my view of faith. I believed faith was blind, ignorant, but I soon came to realize it was actually quite rational. What a great statement. What an amazing statement. And interesting that just reading the Gospels, he came to conclusions that other scholars have come to in terms of the nature of the writing and the biographical content of the writing. And of course, the uniqueness of the person of Jesus. Uh, Daniel said this, not an atheist, but was a believer of Eastern religions, made a prayer in a crisis to believe in God when God answered my prayer Prayer got answered, but I thought it was coincidence. From then, I knew God was just preparing the right moment. In two years of tarrying, I went to church, then all lined up. I received Christ, then all is history. Uh, let's see, over on Twitter, Juan says, I was an agnostic. I think it started with the deep revelation that if evil existed, perfect goodness had to exist. And then I realized that the resurrection was a fact through the martyrdom of the apostles, then personal turmoil, and I knew... I needed God, so I sought him. So, so isn't that interesting? Nancy had that same deep revelation that evil existed, but in a personified way. In other words, there, there was personified evil, hence a Satan, hence a being who was completely malevolent and destructive. And then the light went on. Nancy remembers where she was when it happened. The light went on. If there is personified evil, then there is personified good. If there is Satan, there is God. And then, of course, God made himself real in her life. So Juan comes to a similar type of conclusion. Then the fact that the apostles, the followers of Jesus, were willing to die for their faith, vouchsafed to him the reality of the resurrection, and then going through personal crisis, he knew he needed God. It's, it's so interesting to see how things unfold. You know, I talked yesterday about the spirit of fear as it relates to COVID. And, you know, in the past, you get the flu. Okay, you get the flu. You're not thinking, I'm going to die. I'm gonna, oh, no, I'm going to die. But, but this is just in the air. Now. Oh, no, I may just die. So a lot of people who are kind of smug in terms of their religious beliefs or discounted any notion of God are suddenly struck with reality of life and death. I was talking to someone that lost a loved one and religious person, uh, not a follower of Jesus. And they were saying, you know, losing this loved one kind of shook them because it, it's, it suddenly made them question, well, what's the purpose of this world? And why are we here? And is there more? Just open up a new way of thinking for them. Cody says the three things for him, the reasonableness of Christianity, God's spirit, quote, pestering me. Yeah, I love that word. He's got quotes, pestering. Yep, understood. And learning about conditional mortality is a viable biblical alternative to eternal conscious torment. So for him, the idea that God will consciously torment people forever, like, you know, roasting you on the barbecue on one side and flipping you over on the other side forever and ever and ever, 
was impossible for him to conceive of if God was a good and just God. But the idea that God would one day destroy the wicked utterly was something that opened up a door of faith for him. That's interesting. Linda, the concept of soul. When my brother was sick, he was in physical pain, but I felt painful also. I realized that we have souls. When we die, our souls have to have a place to go. That promoted me, I think she meant uh, prompted me to seek God. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Let's see here. Um... Gail, after a ton of seeds were planted, God put a New Testament study Bible in my hands and I started reading the intro and some of the Gospels and I believed. Don't ever underestimate the power of God's written word. Yes, 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 Gail. One of the best things that I saw happen in UK a number of years ago in the UK was in response to the rise of these best-selling atheist authors, some of them in England, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens being the two principal ones, and, and atheism taking root more deeply in the culture. I, I mean, a, you'd be surprised how, how many people in the UK outside of the Muslim world, so when you get, take that religious group out, and then it's actually the minority Christian view in terms of true Christian, the percentage of atheists was, I was staggered to, to see that years ago. But what one Bible society did to counteract that was just mass-produced copies of the Gospel of Mark, the shortest of the Gospels, in a certain sense, the most direct of the Gospels. I said, well, just get that out. Just get that out. Of course, it's great to have intellectual responses to atheism, by all means, and, and apologetic responses and philosophical responses on different levels. And of course, by all means, we do that. But as Gail said, don't ever underestimate the power of God's written word. Jonathan, my depression left and my heart was glad and steadfast knowing I was loved by him. Wendy, I realized that I'm a sinner. Looking at the Ten Commandments made me realize I was headed to hell. How about Jeremy? It began when I made the statement, there is no truth. And a friend asked me, is that a true statement? Come on. That's the, that's the law and probably popularized by Frank Turek. Others have used it. But Dr. Frank Turek, when someone says to you, there is no truth, say, is that true? Is that a true statement? So for him, it began when I made the statement, there is no truth, and a friend asked me, is that a true statement? That helped, helped me shift my thinking from atheism to agnosticism, but I was still convinced religious faith was for unscientific, unintelligent, uneducated people looking for comfort. Just the first chapter of mere Christianity destroyed that notion. Boom. I, I'm, I'm getting blessed reading these. I hope you are. Um, Marcus, to be fair... I was more agnostic, though just as guilty of having no excuse. First was learning, realizing the difference between observational and forensic science. Next was a reminder of how assumptions and the scientific method can drastically affect the outcome. Then the case for intelligent design. Then the evidence for biblical reliability and accuracy. Then the evidence for the resurrection. Then I accepted Christ. So I, I love that intellectual process, getting them to think to rethink, to analyze, to question, to go deeper, to go deeper, and then to encounter the Lord. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love that. Atrina, cosmological design, DNA, and the fulfilled prophecies of the Bible. Um, yeah, this is just wonderful to, to read. Daniel, supernatural intervention. I don't mean the quasi-weird coincidences that most Christians ascribe to the supernatural. I had a straight-up, visionary, demonic encounter-filled testimony that perpetuated on an ongoing basis for over a year. If the Lord can reach out and save me, he can save 
anyone. Do I have time for one more? Matt, for me, God used a series of people and events spanning about four years from when I was 17 to when I was 21 to rescue me from atheism. It started with a health scare at high elevation in Peru. The last one was that going to a super small church inadvertently when I was curious meant that I wasn't anonymous and talked with the pastor. That's the beginning of the process. So there's relationship, there's supernatural intervention, there's intellectual process, logical deduction, all kinds of things. The power of the word. God moves in many, many different ways. There's no one size fits all because everybody's different. But God moves in these many, many different ways to bring people to himself. Maybe you're next. Maybe you're an atheist, you're agnostic, or even listening to the broadcast today. Maybe you're next. We return with Eric Metaxas. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, well, there's a brand new book out, uh, actually about to be released, with a provocative title, Is Atheism Dead? The author is Eric Metaxas, my good old friend Eric Metaxas, and it's a complete coincidence. It, it's an absolute shocking coincidence I happened to decide to talk about the book today, and he just happened to be waiting on the phone to do this interview at this specific moment that I was about to, oh, sorry, it's not a coincidence. We planned it. Ah, could it be that this world was planned, that this universe was planned, that life is not just some random accident? That's one of the reasons that Eric wrote the book, Is Atheism Dead?, Hey, welcome back to the Line of Fire. Great to have you on my show this time. I really do think it's a coincidence. I had no idea. I didn't even know that you existed. I wasn't sure that I existed. Uh, I certainly wasn't sure whether God existed. And now we all know that we exist. Isn't this wonderful? It's just, it's just um, amazing. And, you know, the funny <laughs> thing is that you actually sound like the guy that I knew from years ago that happened to call in today with the same name. Think I'm the that. same guy. You know, the poor, the poor audience listening to this is thinking, who are these two wackos? We know Mike, but who's this friend of his? Honestly, uh, Mike, I am thrilled to be on with you. I'm thrilled to talk about the subject of this book. I honestly, I didn't know that I was going to write this book. It's one of these weird things where you just have to assume the Lord gave it to you to do. And it's called, Is Atheism Dead? And, and, and the evidence for God in this is so astonishing. I, I can't take credit for it, right? It's so astonishing that I have a burden to get this out to believers, because I said, when you understand how much evidence there is from science, you won't even believe it, because we've been led to believe that faith and science, you know, they're on different pages, and forget about it, and the more science you learn, uh, the, you know, the more doubt you get about God. It is exactly the opposite, and I want to scream it from the rooftops. Science, by God's grace, I mean, you know, one way we know we may be living in the end times is strange things are revealed, like evidence from science, from, 
you know, from, from advanced science that we couldn't have known 30 years ago or whatever, why do we get to be alive when this stuff comes out? So I said, I've got to put it in the book. It's going to encourage believers, and it's going to shock agnostics and people, because I, I don't think they even thought, none of us really thought this was possible. So since the Lord allowed me to bump into this stuff, I said, I, I've got to put it in a book, and I want to get people as excited as I am, because it's true. So uh, obviously for everyone listening, this is not just a book to edify you as a believer, but a great book to give to friends of yours that say they're atheists or agnostics, or maybe that lost their faith, and this will kind of jar them back to reality. And Eric, you know, my training, my PhD is in Semitic languages. Uh, I'm not scientifically trained. Uh, I've read, I've learned, I've been astonished by what I've read. And I've talked to other scientists on this broadcast, and I said, in your view, the more scientific discoveries that are made, you think it's going to be harder and harder for people to be atheists? And, and they all say, oh, absolutely. So, I mean, how long ago was it that we didn't know DNA existed? And then you had the so-called junk DNA that couldn't be explained and realized, well, that's actually not junk. So let, let's start. If, if you had to pick one thing that has been most jarring to learn scientifically, which to you is clear evidence of God. Let's, let's start there. Obviously, you have a bunch in your book. but Well, there, yeah, there are three. I mean, the book, uh, it's called Is Atheism Dead? And it really takes its title from the uh, Time Magazine article, 1966. It was a you know, big cover story, 1966, yeah. Is God Dead? And it was kind of like, well, the evidence is pointing in that direction, blah, 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 blah. We were kind of at that point in the culture where, where people began wondering, yeah, I don't know. It seems like science and logic and reason are pushing faith out. And the reason I wrote this book with the title, Is God Dead?, is that since about that time, since about 1966, Evidence has been coming in from all over the place, but mostly science, that is so astonishing. And then the funny thing, Mike, is that people just never hear about it. Now, there's one thing to have astonishing evidence, but then you think, if nobody hears about it, does it even exist? I mean, you know, if you, if you never hear that science is pointing to God, you're living in a world where it's not true. Well, I'm here to say it is. And then the number one argument from science, because I talk about science, I talk about biblical archaeology, which is also unbelievable stuff has been coming out, and then I talk about atheism itself in the end of the book. But the science part, of the three things that I write about, probably the easiest to grasp is what we call the fine-tuned universe. The idea that science keeps discovering things about our universe, which it couldn't have known before. We didn't have the tools to see these things, but now we can see things and measure things, and we say, holy cow, if the Earth were a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller, there's no life. We didn't learn that growing up in school. Science now says that if the Earth were the tiniest bit bigger, and I mean just a tiny bit bigger, uh, our gravity would be obviously stronger, and we would pull down, you know, poisonous... Uh, things into the atmosphere that right now we, we, we couldn't breathe them. They're, 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 they're drifting up. You know, they exist. But, but, but if, the, if the planet were bigger, science says, yes, the, our atmosphere, we would not be able to exist. They say if the planet were the tiniest bit smaller, our magnetosphere. Now, people say, what's a magnetosphere? Exactly. <laughs> Why aren't we learning about this? It's, science says the magnetosphere is necessary to keep our atmosphere roughly as it is. If the planet were a little bit smaller, like, say, the size of Mars, we would have an atmosphere like Mars. Our, our atmosphere would have escaped 
into outer space. I mean, that's a really simple thing, but this is what science says. This is not what some Christians think. This is what science teaches, and that's one tiny example, but everywhere you look, science keeps finding things that they say, wow, what a great coincidence that the Earth is exactly the size it is, because if it wasn't, there's no humanity, there's no life. We've, We've discovered that the planet Jupiter, who would think that it matters whether Jupiter is there or is not there? What does it have to do with life on Earth? Well, we didn't know until fairly recently that and, and again, this sounds crazy. This is what science says. It says that Jupiter is so huge and its gravity is so powerful that it pulls away all kinds of asteroids and meteors and comets that would hit Earth. In other words, if they're aiming at Earth, it is the tremendous gravity extending throughout the... You know, it's kind of funny because you think, right, gravity, it, it doesn't... It, it reaches through our whole solar system and... It is pulling these things away toward itself. We're talking about Jupiter right now. And science now says, yeah, by the way, if Jupiter weren't there, oh yeah, there would be about a thousand uh, times as many asteroids, comets, meteors hitting the Earth. And I write in the book what happens when a meteor or asteroid of any size hits the Earth. It is devastating. It's It's what destroyed Sodom, 1700 B.C., and Abraham could see the smoke from 40 miles away. It's only recently that science understands that this tiny pinprick in the sky, if you you know uh, astronomy and you look up and you can say, oh, yeah, today we can see Jupiter. that tiny, tiny thing, a billion, you know, so far away. If it weren't for that, and again, coincidence, if it weren't for that, there's no life on Earth. Those are just a couple of things, but it goes on and on and on. And every year that has passed, we found more evidence and more evidence. So it's like science is doing the opposite of what they said. Science is pointing to God, because you think this looks not just, uh, you know, like, like it was created by an intelligence, but it looks like it was created with such complexity that it's breathtaking. Many scientists have lost their atheist faith as a result of this, or it's shaken their faith, because they say, this doesn't make any sense. How can everything be so perfectly, perfectly fine-tuned? And again, I'm not even scratching the surface, but... It, it adds up and up and up and up. The, uh, there's a chapter on water in the book. No one will believe it. Water is one of the most Baroque, intense creations. We kind of think, oh, it's just water. It is a masterpiece of God, the details of, of the water molecule. Again, this is stuff that nobody thinks about. Well, science has been thinking about it, and science tells us if the water molecule were slightly different, there is no life. Uh, water, obviously, when it gets uh, frozen, it floats. So you think, what other liquid, when it becomes a solid, becomes lighter and floats? Very, 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 very few. If water didn't have that strange capacity, there's no life on Earth. I mean, it goes on and on. So that's the fine-tuned universe. And, you know, I'll tell you, Christopher Hitchens, the famous atheist, uh, he was asked once, what's the most powerful argument from the other side? And he goes, oh, without question, the fine-tuned argument. And he says, all my colleagues would agree. That's the one that, you know, really pulls us up short. And what I find funny is that that's, that's like, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, the, the evidence keeps yeah. coming in, and I just scratched the surface in the book. But it's going to take people's breath away how God has designed the universe and the earth. I mean, that's, uh, that's to me, that's the big one. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Stephen Meyer... 
uh, director of the Center of Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute, probably most famous for his book, The Signature of the Cell, says about the book, Is Atheism Dead? A beautifully written, highly readable compendium of scientific, archaeological, and historical evidence, highly recommended for anyone wrestling with the big questions. And when uh, Dr. Hugh Ross of uh, Reasons to Believe, astrophysicist, endorsed the book, he mentioned your great oratorical skill and irrepressible humor. You know, Eric, as I, as I think of that and the way you communicate, the picture I've had in my non-scientific mind as, you know, you go in the opposite direction from the massiveness of the universe and its mathematical precision, you get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller into something that is like you could put a billion of these on the pin of a head or, you know, however it's described. Right, right. And then my mind, you got a little factory there and, and you finally get to like all the way down. There's a little guy gives you thumbs up like, hey, we got we got this running smoothly. It's like, how? It's just <laughs> so did, did you feel we, we got 30 seconds before before our break? Did you feel that God gave you the grace to communicate these really difficult concepts in ways? That- no doubt. No doubt. That's God's his biggest gift to me is, is my ability to communicate sort of complex things in a way that everybody can get it. I feel that is so important. It's not just for scientists. It's not just for everybody. Everybody who can think needs to know the evidence for God is increasing dramatically. God is doing it for for this time, as the darkness seems all around us, the light is shining brighter. So, yes, he's given me that gift, and that's why I said I've got to write this book. I want everybody to know this stuff, not just some scientists. All right. Now, I'm, I'm also hoping for a miracle that I actually get a physical copy of, of the book. Yeah, we, as soon as they ask, would you like to have Eric on to talk? I said, of course. Uh, I'm, and I get on your show all the time, so it's good to get mine also. But we'll be right back with Eric Attacks. We've got a few more minutes to go. The new book just about to come out, but it's already the number one best-selling book on atheism on Amazon. That should tell you something. Is atheism dead? It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends. Michael Brown here. Less than 30 minutes from now, so 4.15 Eastern Time. You can join us over on our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown, for our exclusive weekly YouTube chat. You get to post any question on any subject that we relate to in any way. We get to as many questions as we can over about a one-hour period. So 4.15 Eastern Time, a little less than half an hour from now. Join me at Ask Dr. Brown on YouTube. Love to have you there. Interact. We'll have a great time digging into the Word and beyond together. All right. Uh, back to my guest, Eric Metaxas, author of the new already best-selling book, Is Atheism Dead? Eric, you wrote an article about seven years ago in the Wall Street Journal that, that took off. Were you surprised by it? And how does that relate to the subject of your book? Well, it's what got me to write this book. Uh, I, wrote, uh, I wrote a previous book called Miracles, and in it I talk about what I just mentioned on this program, the fine-tuned universe, and the evidence is just crazy. And in the last seven years it's increased and increased and increased and increased. And I thought, you know, uh, I thought I put some of it back in that book Miracles, and I wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, and it went so viral that it became the most popular shared article in the history of the Wall Street Journal. Oh. And it was... The same thesis as we're talking about now is is science pointing to
to God. I mean, most people think that can't be. I keep hearing over and over that science is, is, is pushing us away from God. The more science we learn, the less we need God. That is totally untrue, and that's the thesis of this book, is that everything you've been taught, the opposite is happening, and we need to know that science, as every day that passes, the more science discovers, the more it points atheists, agnostics, whomever, to the God of the Bible, or at least to a God. And then I, I get into other stuff in the, in, the, in the book about biblical archaeology. Most people don't know, for example, that uh, a guy that I've gotten to know, Dr. Stephen Collins, archaeologist, believer, he discovered biblical Sodom. There is an entire chapter in the book. It's one of these things that, you know, when you first hear it, you think, this, this can't be. You can't discover. This is 1700 B.C. This is Abraham's time. This is so long ago, and it must have been obliterated. You'll never find it. It's probably under the Dead Sea. This man, because he believes in the Scripture, he was reading Genesis, and he says, you know what? According to this, we've never looked where the Scripture says it is. It's up here, north of the Dead Sea, on the Kikar Plain, the, this green uh, area, this fertile area around the Jordan River. He, in the, in the 90s, figured this out, and in the early 2000s, went to Jordan, which you know would be tougher to do a few decades ago. He finds a so-called tell. These are one of these, you know, they build cities on top of cities on top of cities. So they have a huge mound uh, of where these ancient cities were. He finds when he says, I think this is it, they dig. When he gets to the 1700 B.C. level in the excavation, boom, they find an amazing level of soot, five feet deep. Nobody knows what to make of it. There's nothing that can cause this. It doesn't make any sense. Within it, he finds a piece of pottery from exactly that period, 1700 B.C., and he sees a glassy green glaze on the pottery, and he goes, that, the technology to do this didn't exist until 24 centuries after 1700 B.C. Why is this glazed pottery, which I know is from 1700 B.C., how is this possible? They take it to a lab, and they determine the only thing that could, that could have produced this is a heat so intense that it melted the pottery, uh, there was an article in Nature magazine two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, where 21 scientists weighed in on all that this uh, archaeologist, Stephen Collins, discovered. 21 secular scientists in the premier uh, journal of the day, okay, he wrote a, wrote a peer-reviewed article corroborating everything that he says and saying that the only way this could have happened, this destruction, was a cosmic airburst event. What is that? That is when a meteor or asteroid comes into the Earth's atmosphere and explodes. This one was so powerful, it was the equivalent of at least 1,000 Hiroshima bombs. Now, you think about that. It's incomprehensible. What kind of destruction are we talking about? Well, this is what Dr. Collins found. I write about it in detail uh, in the book. There's a whole chapter on this, because I want the world to know, hey, you think the Bible is folktales? We just discovered Sodom. You didn't think you could go that far, far back in the Bible. You think the farther you go back, the more mythical it is. There is zero question that everything it says in early, the early chapters of Genesis has been corroborated by scientists and stuff. Now, they're not going to say God is real, but they write about this in such detail that you think, wow, this is... 
you know, why did we even find this spot? We found this spot because Dr. Collins was led to it by the scripture. Why did he even look there? Because he felt this is where the Bible says Sodom is, and they dig, and sure enough, they find all this stuff that scientists say, well, yeah, this is exactly what happened. This was this kind of an event. I mean, it just, it's so amazing that the world needs to know this. Believers especially need to know that archaeologists continue to find stuff corroborating the scripture. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's like this should be on the cover of the New York Times, you know, every other week, uh, and the scientific discovery should be on the cover of, of these newspapers. But people have s- s- sort of ceased covering pro-God stuff. They kind of act like, nah, we, we, we already figured out it's, there's nothing to it, and, you know, we're going to ignore it. Well, I just said so much stuff has come across my uh, purview, I said, I, I need to put this in a book. People won't believe it because most of this stuff has not been reported on. And when I ask even Christians who know about this stuff, a lot of them, they haven't heard of some of these things. I said, they're not, they're not going to believe half of what I, I write in here. I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, Mike, but one of the most amazing things I discovered is that two of the most famous dedicated atheists of the 20th century, Albert Camus uh, and uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, these two existentialist atheists, both of them came to faith in God right at the end of their lives, independently, 20 years apart. Nobody seems to know this. Mm. And, and this is when I have to ask, Lord, why did you give me this information? Like, why do I get the privilege of telling people? This is, this is astonishing. I mean, this is, you know, it's like saying Hitler became a Christian, you know, on his deathbed. You'd be like, wait, 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 what, what, what did you say? Like, that? no, I've never heard that. These are two people, they dedicated their lives to writing books about a world without God. And at the end of their lives, each of them totally independently, one in 1960, the other in 1980, they came to faith in God, and it seems to Christian faith, I mean, you have to read the details in the book, but I thought, Mm. how come I've never heard this? This is a headline. This is big stuff. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff, and I'm so excited about this. I, I want... I should say I want people to pre-order it because it doesn't come out till October 19th. And, you know, we live in a secular world. Yeah, my next book, Revival or We Die, comes out on October 19th. So that's further proof. Come on. And here we are today. (laughs) Listen, Eric, uh, you know, I had an author on uh, last week, and I told him I've I've never heard him as enthusiastic about his book as he was. I've, I've never heard you. No, I never have been. Yeah. I never have been. This is God gave this to me. Amazing. I can't take credit. I'm not like some guy that's been researching this stuff for years. I've just read enough science. I met a man named James Tour. You may know him. Uh, he's a Messianic believer. He's in Houston at Rice University, one of the greatest scientists alive on planet yeah. Earth. He's the one that woke me up to the, one of the other scientific proofs, because he knows more about this than anybody. Nobody ever asks where did life come from. We argue about, okay, once there's life, how did it evolve? Did God do it? Or, what, you know, how did it happen? But nobody ever asked scientists, hey, excuse me. You know, Dawkins says they're, they're still working on that. They haven't figured that no, out. No, but that's, the, that's yeah. the point. Everybody says they're still working on it. But this guy says, no, 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 no. They're not still working on it. They're dead in the water. They've been dead in the water for 70 years. And, yeah. and he gives chapter and verse, so I, I interviewed him for the book. But it's one of those things that if you need proof of God, how about the fact that for 70 years, scientists have been trying to tell us how life came into being. They don't have the beginning of a clue. We kind of think like, well, they sort of know. They know 
absolutely nothing. And, and, and Jim Tour, who was on my radio program yesterday, will air it, I think, tomorrow. He gives you details that they are afraid to even talk about it because it's humiliating that they know absolutely nothing. There's a lot of this kind of stuff in the book that I think when people read it, they're going to be amazed. And I think it's a great, you know, it's a great thing to give to somebody who isn't sure what they yeah. believe. They don't have to be an atheist. They just have to say, you know what, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any evidence. You say, oh, yeah, well, Rick, tell me what you think about this. I think it's going to blow people's minds. And I think that, you know, the scripture about when the enemy comes in like a flood, the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. I feel like we're, we're living in a time like that right now where the enemy has come in like a flood. Everywhere you look is chaos, confusion, wickedness. I think the Lord has put this information in our hands now that yep. we didn't know years ago. Fifty years ago, science couldn't tell us this. All this stuff is recent. And I think it's to bolster believers to say that the evidence is going to get stronger and stronger. As things get darker, the light of the it's Lord gonna is going to get stronger. And so I said, you know what? Fifty years ago they said, is God dead? Today we say, is atheism dead? And five years after that Time magazine headline, the headline was the Jesus Revolution, God said, yeah, I'm going to fight back. The same here. Friends, the new book by Eric Metaxas, pre-order it now. Is atheism dead? Hey, listen, Eric, we're out of time, but I got a word of advice for you. You may want to think about your own radio show. You're a pretty good talker. You may want to think about that, okay? <laughs> I've, okay, I'm begging everyone, please go to my website. It's ericmetaxas.com. I've been canceled off of YouTube. Sign up for the newsletter, and there's a cheap way to get the book there if you look, ericmetaxas.com. You can tell I'm excited, and I'm grateful to you, my friend. Thank hey, you. Thanks, man. Great having you on the air. God bless, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. Hey, like I said, never heard him that excited about a book, and he has said he's never been that excited. I can't wait to look at this myself in more depth. Is atheism dead? Another program powered by the Truth Network.